Today's reading is from John, chapter 10, beginning at the first verse, and can be found on 1076 of your church Bibles. The Good Shepherd and His Sheep Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Good morning, everyone. And I have to say, before I start, I'm not going to unpack fully that scripture we've just heard read. There's so much in it, isn't there? Um, and I'm, I'm just going to pick out one or two points from it. But I would encourage you over the next month to maybe use those verses in your prayer times and times of reflection to see what God is saying to you about the Good Shepherd. Pastoral care has always had a place in the Christian community, hasn't it? In Acts, we read of the care of the fellow believers in the early church, of sharing possessions, of care for the widows. And for many of us today, the legitimate focus of pastoral care is the welfare of those in need, be it emotional, spiritual, or practical. We hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 25. I was hungry, and you gave me food. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And for many of us, these verses would define the ideal of Christian pastoral care. But firstly, let me explore very briefly some of the historical and current ideas which might influence the definition of pastoral care. And here I have to say that I've attempted to condense a huge body of literature and a couple of thousand of years' worth of experience into about four sentences. So bear with me. And for those of you who've studied the subject in greater depth, um, feel free to bring that knowledge to your home group discussions, as long as you don't go on all night. (laughs) Historically, one of the most important contributions to pastoral care after New Testament times was by Pope Gregory I the Great. Whether he was great or not, I think, depends on your theology. His treatise on pastoral care, written after he became Bishop of Rome in 590 AD, was so influential that it became customary to present it to new bishops upon their ordination. Therefore, this textbook of a medieval hierarchical church, which emphasized the role of the priest as pastor, as shepherds of the souls, led to the institutionalization of pastoral care usually in the sacramental, penance particularly, and it excluded the laity by affirming that the central role was of the priesthood. If you like, we could say that the clergy were the doers and the laity were the done to. (laughs) The coming of the Reformation, of course, transformed all of that, and the emphasis came upon both laity and clergy, with the coming of the thoughts of priesthood of all believers. For the Victorians, notably the great evangelical preachers of the 19th century, like Spurgeon or Martin Lloyd-Jones, it was the ministry of preaching that was intimately connected with pastoral care. And, of course, many of the great charitable enterprises we have today have their origins in the Christian believers and churches of that time. But fast-forwarding to the present day, we have the influence of psychology and sociology. Is, or more accurately should, pastoral care be Christianized social work or rely on the ability to develop listening and counseling skills? And then there are the thoughts of Robert Warren, presented in a paper on pastoral care to the Litchfield Diocese in 2009. And he says, somewhat controversially, pastoral care today needs rethinking. The church has become used to a restricted experience of pastoral care, namely the comfort of those in painful circumstances, such as being bereaved or hospitalised. The notion that pastoral care is about nurturing the whole church in discipleship with the practical implication that the healthy that is, the fit, the able, the happily married, the gainfully employed, need pastoral care, would strike most church members as novel, 
even a dubious notion. And then he adds, the widespread, though usually unconscious, understanding in the church about pastoral care is that it is about keeping people happy rather than making people holy. And this, he suggests, needs to be replaced. Let's move on then from our very, very brief overview to the Bible passage that we've heard read from John 10. What insights can we draw from these and other verses as we start this series by looking at just three aspects of how our Heavenly Father cares for us before we move on in future weeks to consider how we are called to care for one another? We've heard Cheryl read to us from John 10, and of course we hear the echoes of Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, says John 10. Have any of you come across that age-old practice of hefting sheep? We see it today in upland areas like Snowdonia in the Lake District. Each spring, sheep are led out onto the high fells, and then before winter... They return to the farm, each finding its own way back to its rightful owner, the right farm. I don't think sheep are as stupid as they're sometimes made out to be. They know where they belong. And it was the custom in biblical times for sheep to be kept at night in a communal sheepfold for safety, mixed together with sheep belonging to other villagers. And then each morning the shepherds would arrive, and each would call out his sheep. The sheep recognized their particular shepherd's voice and would follow him out to pasture. And as verses 3 and 4 say, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Do we recognize the voice of the Good Shepherd? Understand how he speaks to us in prayer, or through the Bible, or through friends, or through those who accompany us on our spiritual journeys. In Ezekiel 34, the Lord is the Good Shepherd who says, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays, I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. We can be completely honest with him, and that knowledge and understanding frees us to be ourselves. We can be secure that he knows our needs and our desires, our secrets, our ambitions, our fears, our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities. There is nothing we cannot say to him. We are completely known and completely loved by him. Thus, when he calls, we can follow in utter confidence. And he will lead us to good pasture. The Good Shepherd provides for his sheep 
provides good pasture. Scripture speaks so many times about not being anxious. Fear not, we're told, over and over again. And it's easier said than done sometimes, isn't it? Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about what you'll eat or wear tomorrow. The Lord, the Father, clothes the grass of the fields. He feeds the sparrows. He provides. He provided for the 5,000. He provided for the wedding feast. He provides miraculously. And he provides through the goodness of other believers. He provides food for our bodies and our souls. And as we say sometimes at the offering... All we have comes from you, and of your own do we give you. And I know, as many of us here have proved in our own lives, that even in the darkest of times, he provides. He is faithful. He sustains, even though we may not acknowledge or recognize it at the time. And sometimes God's provision comes through an unexpected route, And at this point, I'm going to ask Joy to come up and share a little of her experience of God's provision this week. Excuse me. Um, Yes, Ursula said about God's provision this week, uh, but the story goes back about 18 months. Um... Early last winter, I started getting chest infections, which I guess is not uncommon. Um, But I had about five or six chest infections last winter. And I'm asthmatic, and my asthma was just getting worse, and my doctor couldn't understand why, even though he was prescribing new medications and increasing my medication, it wasn't improving. But then in July, I was diagnosed with, uh, oh no, yeah, in July, I was diagnosed with lymphoma, um, which was a bit of a shock, really. (laughs) And um, I had various CT scans, which showed that I had enlarged lymph nodes in my chest, mainly. And um, I guess that accounted for the reason why my asthma wasn't improving. Um, I'm still very short of breath. In fact, I can't sing, and I find that quite frustrating. Um, Yeah, that is a bit frustrating. (laughs) But even throughout all of that, I can honestly say that I I wasn't worried. I just kind of knew that my life was in God's hands, and he was going to see me through whatever the situation was. Uh, and as I saw different um, different specialists the prognosis wasn't terribly good Um, and without chemo no the prognosis wasn't good but but chemo didn't materialise but I knew that I was going to still be around to do the parish weekend. <laughs> God had commissioned me to do that, so what was there to worry about? Because I knew that 
uh, I would still be here for November to do the parish weekend. Uh, but even so, my health wasn't very good, and uh, <clears throat> various I was referred to various specialists. But then I was referred to a rheumatologist two weeks ago, who then in turn decided he needed to clarify things a bit more and referred me to the cardio respiratory uh, specialist. And <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> on Monday I had a call from the hospital. And they said, we want to see you urgently. Uh, will you come on Friday? We'll put you in at the end of the clinic. You may have to sit and wait for a while, but we want to see you. And I kind of thought, mm, that sounds a bit ominous. <laughs> um, but not unduly worried. Um, so I saw, saw this specialist on Friday. <clears throat> He took lots of history, uh, a thorough examination, and uh, he wanted to know what medication I was on. So obviously I told him, I showed him the medication I was taking. And he kind of said, and how long has this asthma situation been getting worse? And I said, about 18 months. And how long have you been on this particular medication? Oh, about 18 months. And I hadn't made any connection at all. <clears throat> anyway, this particular medication that I was on um, has certain side effects. Some of them are quite rare. <laughs> uh, one in a thousand get these particular um, side effects. So you're looking at one in a thousand here. <laughs> Not one in a million, but one in a thousand. Uh, <clears throat> This particular drug can cause pseudo-lymphoma and asthma and various other not very pleasant side effects. <clears throat> so he said, yes, it's this medication that's causing the problems. He showed me in the book, uh, the MIMS book, the side effects from this this medication and, and it listed the, the side effects there which was the pseudolymphoma in large lymph nodes particularly in the lungs the asthma and various other aspects and he said you can't stop taking that drug straight away because it would be quite dangerous <clears throat> but he got in touch with the neurologist and arranged for the drug to be reduced gradually so once I'm off that drug he said I will be fine so God is good. He's the good shepherd. Thank you. It's wonderful to know, isn't it, that, you know, we have a good shepherd who holds all the strands and who knows exactly what's going on in our lives. And he protects us. He protects us, his sheep. Do you remember the story of David in the Old Testament describing to Saul how he defended his father's sheep against lions and bears? How he snatched a sheep from the lion's mouth. A dead sheep, a dead shepherd, I mean, is no use to his sheep, is he? The sheep are left defenseless and scattered 
existing on what bits of pasture they happen to come across, until eventually, without a shepherd, they meet a miserable end. And it's here the metaphor of God our shepherd in human terms fails. Because Jesus, as the good shepherd, knows that if he does not die, his flock will be abandoned. Jesus says in verses 11 and 14, I lay down my life for the sheep. A shepherd may be willing to sacrifice his life, but Jesus doesn't just say that he's willing. He chooses. He chooses to lay down his life so that he might take it up again for us. Let me return a moment for a moment to our topic of pastoral care and suggest the following premise to be considered. The quality of pastoral care that Christians offer to one another and to all with whom they have contact is one of the things that identifies us as the people of God. It comes from the heart of God and it's sharing God's love in the world. In reality, a community is unlikely to be transformed by the caregiving of just one person. It's much more likely to be transformed by the quality of care offered by all and to all. And underpinning all of this, and perhaps most importantly, is that as individuals and as a church community, we are utterly committed to an ever-deepening relationship with our Good Shepherd. Psalm 139 says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Is this the shepherd we know? It's certainly the shepherd that Joy's experienced this past week. Is this the shepherd we spend time with in prayer and reflection? Do we hear the call of his voice, sense the movement of the Holy Spirit within us as we respond to him? There was a fashion a few years ago for wristbands which said, WWJD, what would Jesus do? If we are to understand what Jesus would want of us in the situations we come across, then we need to walk ever more closely with him. And then we will know the answer to that question. What would Jesus do? Amen.